All right, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good day. Welcome. It's July 4th. Today we are here to answer questions about meditation and to spend an hour in mindfulness practice. This is our mindfulness hour. So we're here, we come together to engage in the study of mindfulness. Spend the rest of the week practicing and this is one of the hours of the week that we come together to study it. To ask questions, to answer questions and to practice together. So we close our eyes and Focus our attention on the present moment, the body, the feelings, the mind, the Dhamma. Focus our attention on the present moment, keeping our mind here and now, catching, catching our experiences. Catching the mind as it flits here and there before it has a chance to react, to judge, to extrapolate. Before it has a chance to make more out of things than they actually are, we step in and remind ourselves that that's all it is. It's just that. If you have questions, you can post them in the chat section. If you don't have questions, just keep your eyes closed. The chat section is not for chatting. If you're here to chat, yeah, best go somewhere else. Shraddha is here to answer uh, to ask the questions, so just post them and close your eyes and we'll get to them. Questions should be about meditation based on our practice, so if you haven't read the booklet that we have on how to meditate, probably best to go do that because without it, you might not have a good understanding of wh what we're even talking about. If you have read the booklet and you're interested in more, best thing to do right now is to sign up for an at-home meditation course. 
you go to our website and sign up. It's all free. Got saw someone asking recently again about how much, whether there's a minimum recommended donation or something like that, and there certainly is not. There's not even a recommended donation period or a suggested donation or a donation at all. Nothing. Nothing related to the courses that we offer. If you want to support the organization, you can. But I'm not here to talk about that. You can go to our website and learn about that if you want to support. That's not what we're here for. And that's, there's no hidden agenda. Everything's free. Are you ready for questions? I'm ready. Questions are something I'm always ready for. It's, it's more comfortable answering questions than it is giving talks. Because giving talks, you have to do a lot more preparation on a specific topic. If I really wanted to answer people's questions, I suppose I'd have to do a lot of preparation as well. But answering them this way, we can, because the person's there, we can talk about what they're actually dealing with and, and yeah, you know, it's much more direct and specific questions are the easy part wanted this first question I wasn't sure about but I'll ask you and you could decide when one hears who or what is actually hearing there is the sound the ear and then some sort of me involved. What is it? How to investigate it? It's delusion. Ignorance. Wrong view. That sense of a me is just a sense. You should note maybe sensing or feeling or thinking. Or feeling might be a good one if you feel like there's a me involved. It's based on consciousness. There is consciousness, but that consciousness is momentary. And the problem is it's so quick that we don't really get a good sense of it being momentary because it's moving from one thing to another and it feels like there's a continuity when in fact it's discrete, distinct. So it, this it that you're talking about, it's the self and it it's not something you're ever going to find. You should just focus... Um, practice, continue practicing and, and that sense will slowly fade away because it's not a part of what's really happening it's like it's like when you watch a, a film you know, if you watch a film 24 frames per second or 30 frames per second 25 some places and it looks like it's continuous but in fact it's discrete frames each frame can be paused in fact now with digital it's all mixed in and it's like looking at a picture and thinking seeing you know you see a face of someone but it's not actually a face it's just pixels discrete but there's an illusion 
And until you look with a microscope or slow the film down, you can't see the individual frames. You don't realize that it's actually an illusion. You know those picture books? You flip, if you, probably many people don't, but way back before movies, they had these books. And you flip through them with your finger really quickly, and it looks like there's an animation. But it's actually just pages, and if you flip to one page, the animation's not, it's not moving at all. The effect is when the effect of flipping to a single page is quite remarkable. Actually, your brain has to be shaken out of is shaken out of its sense that there's actual movement. And all there is is the one frame. Consciousness is like that. We've lived so long with the illusion of self, me, mind, that it's just become our sense, the feeling we get. It's our, our perspective, our perception. It's false. It's an illusion. The next question is, they had this question last time, we didn't get to it, it asked again. And meditation help you find meaning in life? Feeling lost right now as to why I'm here and what to do with my life. Well, it can help you come to terms with that feeling. You can say feeling, feeling. If you have confusion or doubt or worry, those are all real. There is no meaning meaning of life. That, 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 it's, it's an odd sort of idea. It's hard to put a point put put a point on what exactly is being referred to when you say meaning meaning of life, meaning in life. Doing something meaningful. You really have to be specific. You have to ask yourself what 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 sort of meaning? Like some like do you mean Something that benefits me? Well, that's a little bit... It's not quite it, right? Is it something that... that uh, is my destiny? Something that has meaning, something that has purpose? It's an odd sort of... It's an odd sort of... Uh, idea... It relates to something I can feel confident in, really. That's what it's really more about. When I do this, I'm confident. I have a confidence. And that's what religion gives us. It gives us faith. We call it faith. It's really just consciousness. Uh, sorry. Um, confidence. You have a strength of mind. You're not divided in your purpose. You're not divided in your in inclination. But that can come from from wrong activities. You can be doing the wrong thing and be very encouraged into doing it. You can be doing the right thing. Maybe if we talk in terms of wrong or right, it has more meaning. 
some things we do are wrong, some things are right, and that has that has real uh, inherent truth to it. That there are things that are wrong and there are things that are right, but that's really just based on on how whether it causes suffering or whether it frees us from suffering. So if you want to find direction, something that you can have confidence in, the best place to put your confidence is in suffering, understanding suffering, and thereby freeing yourself from suffering. But feeling lost and so on, that's all just an object of mindfulness, because it's a cause of suffering itself. It's okay to take time away from noting the present moment to contemplate the Buddha's teaching. I mean, there, there, there are of course worse things you could be doing. So yeah, it's okay. Um, maybe a, maybe a better way to phrase it would be. Is it a valuable part of our practice? Right? Is is there because is it okay? Would be something I might might uh, so one might ask if one was addicted to something or had some other reason for doing it. Right? But I don't I don't think the Buddha's teach contemplating the Buddha's teachings is in that category. It really would have it really would be more like. Is it beneficial to? Is it is it going to be helpful? As opposed to, I really crave this, and and is it okay if I, right? I think um, so. The real an interesting question is whether it's beneficial, whether it's um, going to be a detriment to my practice, or whether it's going to support my practice. And I think studying. Studying the Buddha's teaching has great benefit. Whether contemplating the Buddha's teaching is going to support your practice or is it going to be to the detriment? I guess that's really what's being asked here. If I do that, is it going to hurt my practice? But but I think there's something to the idea that it might be a sort of addiction. Even though that, that might not be clear when you ask the question. that There is kind of a sense that it's something that we like to do, something that we enjoy doing. That, that It could be something that settles your mind even. If you have doubts about the practice, contemplating them can, can reassure you, it can help you deal with your doubts, and that could be good. I think even then better would be to focus on the doubt and, and try and see that doubt itself is inherently problematic rather than try to um, solve doubt because then it's just about solving individual experiences and it becomes a habit where you try to s fix things as opposed to deal with them and see that they're not worth even worrying about or you're not worth engaging in right? doubt is something that's inherently harmful well it's disruptive to the mind it's a hindrance to focus and concentration
I don't think there's a lot of room for contemplating teachings. I think to some extent learning them and understanding them is is important. If you learn about the four satipatthana and then learn what they mean until you can understand, okay, yeah, that's what I get it. And there may be some contemplation involved there, but often there's just an explanation from a teacher. And it shouldn't be a deep or, or complicated explanation. I don't think there's a lot of room for stepping back and taking it as a practice of contemplating the teachings. There's not a lot of room for intellectualizing. I think any any benefit you get from the reassurance is just going to potentially become a bit of a bad habit. It's, it's not quite right to try and assuage your doubts by getting explanations and so on, by thinking. It's jnana. If anything, it's in this category of jnana, which is a upakilesa, where you get caught up in knowledge. And you can just go with that. Sometimes meditators will sit and just, oh, and this means this and that means that. I get it. I understand. It can be quite intoxicating. Uh, the cerebral activity get you off track and you're no longer mindful. I don't think it's really necessary. One thing that you should step back once in a while and be be in incorporate into your practice is the reflection on your practice, whether the way you're practicing is is proper. You know, just take a moment to reflect on whether you are actually noting things or you know to say to yourself, "Hey, I'm, I wasn't being mindful of this. My practice was really awful there. Oh, it was because I wasn't being mindful of this." I think there's room for that. Lifting a foot, we have to have the intention and desire to lift the foot. Is it helpful to note the thinking of lift foot up? I don't quite get. I think what you're trying to ask is, is it helpful to note the wanting or the intention? Or thinking, yeah, the thinking to do it. Right, it's a bit the English isn't quite there, but I think I get it. I, I wouldn't recommend doing that for every movement. It can just it's just adding a lot. It's not wrong. It's great that you can see that. But maybe more reasonable would be to note when you switch postures, for example. When you go to stand up, say wanting to stand. When you go to walk, say wanting to walk. When you go to sit, wanting to sit. When you go to lie down, wanting to lie down. Big things like that. Because if you were to note an intention for every movement, it would start to get cluttered. You can. It's not wrong. It's great that you notice it and it's good to note. 
I just wouldn't do it with every little movement of the foot. How can I overcome fear? I note fear, fear, but my fear is still persistent. Well, that's part of what you're coming to see. The, the, the purpose of noting is not to make things go away. It's to help you see that they're not under your control, among other things. But one important part of it is to see that you're not in control, that they don't go away just because you want them to. It's something that people don't perhaps realize. It's not quite clear because the mantra seems like a, a fix. Right? It seems like, well, logically, if you're telling me to say pain, pain, it must make the pain go away. No, unfortunately not. It must make the fear go away. No, no, it doesn't. Sometimes it does. Sometimes there is a connection, but it's not always, it's not a direct, necessary result. Noting is not a sufficient cause for the problems to go away. So the I, how can I overcome fear is is probably based asking that question is probably based on a desire for the pain to go away that is really a part of the problem. Wanting or sorry, wanting the fear to go away, which is a part of the problem. Wanting it to go away is just going to exacerbate things. What we're trying to do, and why we use the noting, why the heck do we use it? To understand fear to understand the objects of our experience. The more you understand fear, the less likely you are to engage in things like fear as a reaction, because you see more clearly that it's really not very useful. It's harmful, in fact. The next question is very similar. What does one do when feeling lonely? Can meditation and enlightenment help loneliness? Yes, absolutely. Loneliness is a little interesting because what does it actually mean? It's probably a combination of liking and disliking. You know, liking, craving and aversion. Right? You crave you crave uh, engagement with others in various ways and you're averse to being alone it has nothing to do with states of it doesn't have nothing to do directly with whether you're alone or or, or with other people it's the aversion and the uh, the craving and you should focus on those when they arise The, the I think the reason why loneliness becomes a real problem and becomes unpleasant is because of the perspective we have. Right? There's some sense that being alone is a bad thing. Some sense that our worth, we, we our worth is less, or uh, reality is of less value when we're alone that there is some state of of engagement that is better the, the the value judgment of 
being around people, the excitement, you know, and just yeah, just the excitement of being around people. But it's exacerbated by our our perceptions of I'm alone now, right? I have no friends. No one likes me. I wish I had a partner. Oh, I was I want to get married ideas like that there's a, there's some abstract ideas involved that that create the idea of being lonely it it becomes loneliness when you have a concept of being alone that is negative being alone is a problem so all of that you should note as well thinking if you have thoughts of being alone thoughts of having no friends thoughts of Wishing you had lots of friends. I should note all those. How to handle guided meditation. I'm not sure whether to concentrate on the speaker or my breath. Well, I don't generally recommend guided meditation. The idea behind a guided meditation is someone who doesn't know how to meditate, listening to the speaker and as a result of listening, starting to apply their their teachings as they're listening. So it's both, you know, you're going back and forth. For someone who already knows how to meditate, really your best is to just meditate. Being guided is, as your question suggests, it's limiting because... You have to listen and meditate. You have to do two things at once. I mean, obviously, if it's guided, you have to... For it to be guided, there has to be a concentrating on what the person's saying. But for it to be meditation, there has to also be a focus on not the breath, but whatever the object is that the person's uh, talking about. So it's more of an introductory thing. I wouldn't recommend it as a daily practice. I suppose artificially there's some artificial... You're getting this direction. Now do this, now do that. And that could be useful. I think the bigger problem there is the, the reliance on it. If you're relying on someone else, that's it's a crutch. And crutches are good if you're crippled but they don't help you learn to run for example if you rely on them you're never going to learn how to run you're never going to get really strong there's some of the questions I skipped earlier a 10-day Vipassana retreat meditating all day valuable to someone who meditates an hour a day or is it better to build up to it gradually? I don't think there's any reason to build up to it gradually. If you're able to do an hour a day, you're probably able to do a 10-day course, or 12-day course, or a 14-day course. I don't know. You're probably talking about a course in a different tradition. In our tradition, when a person comes the first day, they, they don't have to do 
very intense rounds of meditation. They're able to gradually work into it. That's why our courses are longer generally. That's one reason. They can find information on our website. It's being updated. I think it should mm. be updated soon, but they'll be... Because right now the course is still, say, 21 days. But once you finish the at-home course, then... Between 15 and 21 days, I think that will be yeah. updated on the website. Yeah, if you do the at-home course, it's not 21. You don't have to come for 21 days. You can finish it in a shorter time. Maybe 15. Still depends on the individual, but say 15 just to be safe. Some people take longer and there's no shame in that. It doesn't mean you're a worse meditator. It's just the way it is. How do you know if you're enlightened? I find that I have made progress in my mindfulness, but is there such a thing as fully enlightened? I wouldn't worry about it. One thing you can be clear on is that just being mindful and gaining progress in mindfulness isn't the goal. It's meant to lead up to a moment where the mind lets go of everything and there's an experience of cessation where the mind lets go of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. Let's go of samsara completely just for a moment and there's a there's a state. A, it's hard to describe because anything I say is going to make it sound like a a trance or something. And it's even, there's no trance. There's no what kind of is a trance, but even saying that is misleading. It's beyond. It's it's not really something you can describe with words because all words are related to samsara, related to experiences. It's outside of experience, in a sense. And that changes you. That experience is not is more than life-changing. It doesn't just change this life. It changes the core of the stream of consciousness. It just changes everything. While being mindful on daily life, suddenly something makes you fearful. How to avoid coming out of the meditative state? Having a hard time staying mindful when sudden or scary things happen around. So generally this sort of description is a conflation of concentration and mindfulness. There's no mindful state. Mindfulness isn't something you can stay. Those terms relate much more to what we call concentration. And mindfulness will increase concentration, but it's not mindfulness. Mindfulness is moments. Mindfulness is the clarity, 
the objectivity, it's the con confronting of an experience, and that's every moment. So don't be misled by the, the this, this these states. When you have states of calm or tranquility, that those are good results. They can be. They can also be misleading. They can be things you get attached to and and uh, intoxicated by. But generally, a, a sign that you know you're you're gaining something if you're more calm and more focused. But mindfulness is the practice. And you can engage in it and should engage in it whenever you think of it, whenever you're there for it. So there's no staying, there's no state, being in a state. When there's a scary thing, of course, it can be harder to be mindful because you've forgotten yourself. But don't try to get back into some concentrated state. Don't worry about that. That was never the practice in the first place. Just say, afraid, afraid. And don't worry that now you're agitated, that now there's, a, there's stress in the body, stress in the mind. Take those as the object of mindfulness. We're quite often we can become complacent and dependent on calm and peaceful and pleasant states. And then when they're gone, when the next day or the next hour or the next moment... There, there, there's a different experience of stress or whatever. We are lost and displeased, disappointed, confused, upset, more upset because, because we, we want what we had and we don't know how to get it. We can even we even come to think of it as. Something you're do we're doing. Ah, look at me, I'm very focused. And then when it's gone, you try to turn it back on. You say, why can't I make it happen again? I made it happen before, but the truth is you didn't. The truth is it comes and goes. And it's not as predictable as you thought it was. Monte, I find that bad thoughts come more when not during the meditation session. Would it be of use to actively think of these during meditation instead of waiting for it to appear to then note? No. No, just note them when you're not meditating as well. When bad thoughts come, note them. We're not. There's nothing particular that we have to focus on the pro the real problem the biggest problem with trying to induce uh, problematic states challenging states is that that is habit forming as well it's the, the 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 process of true understanding and objectivity can't occur when you're encouraging so you're in the long run you're just going to you're not going to benefit from inducing things you know it's based on the idea of control and fixing you have some purpose in doing so and that purpose becomes an inclination and when you try to start fixing things well it just feeds into our inclination to try to, to see things as problems and to try and fix them it's an, it, it's, it feeds into the aversion towards our problems which is itself a problem
If we sit perfectly still despite pain, is this a more advanced meditation? More beneficial? Or is it too physical endurance oriented? Yeah, it's, I would say that's too much. So, try and don't focus on the sitting still aspect. Let's put it. Let's put it there. Try and focus on the pain. Note to yourself pain, pain. If you find yourself moving as a result of the pain, try and note that. If you have an intention to move, if you say to yourself, "I need to move," because this pain is too much then the best rule of thumb is to just note to yourself wanting to move, wanting to move. And if you're still wanting to move, then note moving, moving, and move slowly. If you use the hand to lift the foot, for the leg, for example, say moving, placing, pushing, and so on. And just keep going. Try and note the, note the pain first, yes. But then if you do move, if you want to move, note that and move sometimes you should move because it can be inju injurious it can be it can cause injury if you stay in a painful position for too long that's rare i think wouldn't be obsessed with that idea but people who have old injuries and so on you can make them worse it is possible and so moving can help I talked with uh, with someone recently about, they said their practice was as soon as you, and, and there's apparently people teaching this, as soon as you feel pain, you should move. You move. As soon as you feel pain, you acknowledge that there's pain, and then you move to a different posture. And I said, well, that, that is different from how we practice, because the Buddha said that we should face pain and, and try and understand pain. Suffering is to be understood. So taking it as a practice to move as soon as you feel pain is problematic, to say the least. You'll never really face it. But the, the general, the practical application is that you face it as much as you can, and when it's too much, then you move. And gradually, this is what you should be, um, this is the, the, the framework you should be working under, is that gradually you will face it more. Gradually you'll face it for a longer period of time until eventually you no longer have to move. You shouldn't put judgment on it. Again, if you move, you move. It's not actually a problem to do that. Just try and be as mindful as you can, and you'll find eventually... Naturally, you just don't have to move. You don't have to move as quickly. Eventually, you don't have to move at all. Don't focus too much on the, the I won't move, I won't move kind of thing. And pushing it, trying. Because you, you, first of all, it's, it's, it's not, it's mis it's, your mind is misdirected in that moment if you're obsessed about I will not move, I will not move. That's not mindfulness. You should be mindful of the pain, mindful of the moving, mindful of the wanting to move. That's how you sort it out. It'll sort itself out eventually. And if you move, you move.
can meditation while doing yoga be con considered meditation? Could it be a substitute to sitting meditation or does sitting meditation need to be practiced every day as well? Yoga. Let's rephrase this question just so you can understand how it appears to um, a mindfulness meditator. Can you do meditation while moving the body? Yes. Yes, absolutely you can. The question is, why are you moving the body in this particular way? So we do walking meditation, or we can even do meditation while we're walking ordinarily, like walking down the street. The question is, why are we walking? If you're walking somewhere to get to your drug dealer, well, yes, you can walk to your drug dealer mindfully, but you probably shouldn't be walking to your drug dealer. And, you know, there's a whole host of things you sh shouldn't involve there, like you shouldn't be doing drugs in the first place. So why are you doing yoga is the better question. And I don't really know. Um, I think people describe health benefits to yoga, so you have to ask yourself why you're, to what extent you're concerned about your health and, and whether it's a healthy concern, healthy concern for your health. And I think a big reason why people do things like yoga or tai chi is for the result, the, the feelings that come from it. For Tai Chi and so on, I think there's a feeling of calm. In yoga, I think there's perhaps even pleasure, but calm as well. People like that. I think there are probably chemicals involved, bodily chemicals, brain chemicals. So, I don't think yoga is an evil thing. Certainly not a demonic or anything but i'd be suspicious of why people do yoga i guess i guess i would be suspicious of why someone doing a meditation course would be doing yoga so if you're doing it in your daily life it's nothing to you know it's really great it's far better than other things you could be doing in your life like drugs or going out to parties or so on if you're doing yoga, don't let me stop you. But if you're doing a meditation course, I would say it doesn't have any place. Stretching in general. Some people will do it because they feel, and this is, I think, another important point to make. People do it because they feel that it will help them sit better. And that's a real problem. Wanting to sit better, usually relating to not feeling as much pain. Real problem. Pain is, is our friend. Pain is our pain is our our lab rat. It's what we focus on. It's what we study. Pain is the object of meditation. It's a very important one. Trying to avoid it is a big problem. Trying to so that when you sit in meditation you'll feel strong, your body will feel strong, your mind will feel strong, all of that is problematic. You have to be able to deal with your mind that is a mind that is weak. You have to understand weakness and disturbance. That's what we want to understand. Why why are we disturbed?
Lately in meditation, I've been getting strong piti, which tenses up my body and makes me have spasm like shaking. Any tips? If it's just a one-off spasm, then you can just note it and move on. Note any emotions you might have about it. There's no... You know, asking about any tips. Not, I, I, I'm not trying to be so be critical, but when, when I when I analyze your questions, I'm not trying to criticize and say, "Boy, this person, why were they? What a what a dumb question." It's not a dumb question. It's just analyze to help you understand what's going on when you ask this. So when you ask any tips, there's a sense that you have a problem with this, and and I don't know. I, I have to go by only words, but I assume that there is possibly probably a problem with it and that's a that's a part of the problem so there's nothing wrong with a spasm it's not like it's a good thing but it's not a bad thing either you should just note it and go on but if shaking occurs continuously there's often a mental aspect the mind is egging you on, egging it on is encouraging it and then you can tell yourself to stop just say to yourself stop that helps If there's tension in the body, you should note that as well. Tense, tense. But more impo most importantly, note any reactions to it. Worry about it, fear of it, disliking of it. This is not exactly about meditation, but they asked twice, so... I know the things I need to yes, do. Yes, twice, so we must need an answer. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll refuse just because they're so stubborn. Let's see. Um, Go ahead. I know the things I need to do to improve my life, but I find it hard to motivate myself, myself to do these things. Do these when there are people in my life that I want that are not with me. How do I depend less on others? How do I depend less on others? Well, meditation helps. Really, there's not a complicated answer. Your dependency on others is an attachment. It's something that causes us stress and suffering. So if you meditate, you'll, if you're mindful, noting, you know, if you read the booklet, that might help. If you do an at-home course, that should help. You'll find yourself less attached, less inclined to cling because you see more clearly how stupid it is to cling, you know, how, how useless it is, how harmful it is to you. I didn't mean to call you stupid, but we, you, you, you really, it really is a waking up where you get a feeling like I was so, I was asleep. I was, I was lost. How could I not see this? Because when you're asleep, you can't, you can't understand things. This is why dreams are so chaotic. When you have your eyes closed, you can't help but bump into things. You bump in, and you just can't. That's what it feels like. It feels like we were so blind. 
What rate should nothing be done? About once per second. You don't have to worry too much about the rate, but it's a good rule of thumb because if you're if you're noting a lot more than that, it's you're not you're it's not really not really that beneficial. Can meditation reveal our real self? So how much time it takes? And if not? Buddhism doesn't talk about a real self. We have no sense that such a thing exists. Any views that you might have relating to a real self are just going to cause you stress and suffering. You better let go of those views. Okay, I'm going back to some of the other questions that were skipped before. Um, maybe you could just write it. Sure. Uh, is there a limit to what we can achieve with breathing meditation? Does insight meditation go deeper in a way? Like, do we move beyond the practice that you read about in the booklet because what we practice isn't technically breathing meditation it's mindfulness of the body the tension in the body though you could call it breathing meditation but i like to be specific because there are many things that are called breathing meditation but if you're referring to the watching the stomach rising and falling then yes there are more we might say advanced techniques but they're still related to the stomach if you want to learn about those quote, advanced techniques, then uh, you can take the at-home course and we can go through them. It's not like they're... It's not like you have to be some advanced meditator to learn about them. It's more like we want to give them personally and when you're ready for them as you go through the course. If we just put them out on the internet, then people would just decide for themselves when they were ready, and that's a really bad way to do a course, especially in the beginning, because a person, well, it's it's not easy for one to gauge one's own practice. It's like trying to see yourself without a mirror. Meditation be unbeneficial. We've had this question recently, and we get it, I guess, often. Uh, or we had it recently, anyway. I don't really want to answer it. Um, if it, for, uh, trying to think of whether what way someone might ask this, if they really need an answer, is they might be worried about the practice causing harm. You know, is there some dangers that I should be aware of? when I undertake meditation and there really aren't I wouldn't worry about it um, I, I would point out that there are different kinds of meditation and I can't vouch for any other type but ours but I can say if you're doing the practice outlined in the booklet it's not likely that you'll fall into much trouble you should be aware that the mind is a powerful thing of course and if you have mental illness quite possible that you'll misinterpret the practice and use and start getting lost in practices that could be harmful 
mind is a powerful thing and if you if you engage and encourage harmful habits guess what they hurt you Okay, I'm not sure if it's the same person. I didn't look back, but there was another question saying, some people advise me to get protection if I meditate too much because one may attract also dark energies. To what, to what extent is something like this true? I mean, that's very, it's a very sort of poetic and mystical, magical way of talking about it. But to some extent there is truth to the idea that if you meditate it encourages problems because those problems are in us that we generally try to avoid but that's more what it is it's just that you're going to be facing things and without help it can feel like you're being possessed by demons sometimes it's really just the mind You should, you should, so if we want to talk in these terms, you should be protected by your teacher. I think there is some talk of meditation attracting spirits, perhaps even evil spirits. And that's, that's it actually different. So if we talk about it actually attracting spirits, it's, um, it in fact is a protection itself in that sense because any spirit that would mess with a meditator very bad things would happen to them it can happen it can happen and meditation can also bring you in closer contact contact with beings that you might have bad karma with I'm going to scare you all scare some people anyway, people who think like this. Buddhists talk about this and they talk about going, you know, doing a meditation course sometimes attracts one thing it can attract is is beings, ghosts that um want to benefit. They have some connection with you and they're looking to benefit themselves as well. And that can scare the heck out of meditators, from what I hear. But those sorts of beings are not harmful. And really there's no danger from dark energies or malevolent spirits. There's no danger from anything. Nothing is dangerous. The only thing that's really dangerous is lack of mindfulness. Nothing can hurt you unless you're going to react to it. And that's where people run into trouble, I suppose, even potentially with spirits coming to trick you into being unmindful. That could happen, I suppose. I think much more common is the dark energy that comes from within. You yourself get caught up in reacting to things and so on. Is that, you know, that's something you deal with in meditation that you might not deal with outside of meditation. So it can feel like it's worse to meditate because you're finally facing and dealing with your problems.
could meditation alone help you recover from an addiction or mental illness like anorexia? Absolutely, yes. Anorexia seems very much like, oh, it's a neurosis, I think, right? So science, and I don't know how valid it is, but science has sort of distinguished between what they call psychoses and neuroses. Psychoses, and I'm, I'm, not a, you know, I'm not a professional in this field, so I'm just using jargon from someone else's um, field of practice. But my understanding, from what I learned in high school actually, is that psychoses are organic, they're, they're ingrained. They're not something that changes. They're not something that's developed over time. They're brain-based. It's like a problem in the brain that's inherent the way the brain is made up. And neuroses are learned. They are acquired. Now, I think it's oversimplistic. I think it's fair to say. I think probably the scientific community has to some extent moved on or qualified these two categories, but it can be helpful, practically speaking, to say that anorexia is a neurosis, a neurosis in the sense that it's acquired. It's a habit. And it becomes overwhelming where you just don't know how to deal with it. You don't even don't even think about it. You're, you're just right. You start by going on a diet, and then it becomes unhealthy. Where you're just in a loop, basically. And of course, mindfulness helps us break out of all of our loops. It gives us better loops, better habits. So absolutely, I think that would be an interesting thing to see someone who had anorexia take up mindfulness meditation and prevail over it. I think for sure that's a possibility. A real problem is if you have, if someone has strong mental illness, the reason why it often seems uh, what useless to do things like meditation is because their minds are in a bad way. And if your minds are already in a bad way, it's that much harder to get out of it but that just means it's going to take longer it's not something you can easily do a study on because it could take years or even lifetimes to overcome your mind being in a bad way there's just no shortcut well that being said if someone does have the fortitude of mind you can often see people change quickly but you need that fortitude you need some goodness in you some Good karma. That's why karma can be such a powerful thing because without it, you just don't have the power to succeed. You don't have the fortitude of mind to succeed. And you get lost in your bad habits. So, let this be a lesson, children. Do good. Do good. It supports your meditation. And meditate because meditation is the best goodness. And that will support future meditation even if it doesn't seem fruitful the power that you get from meditation is fruitful it's, it, it, the fruit is easier meditation in the future Are there any other noting terms to be used when coming in contact with spirit? I use hearing when having clairaudient experiences and feeling when feeling the almost magnetic pull of their touch. Yeah, that's right. 
That's all. Point is, beings don't exist. Beings are concepts. So you're a concept, they're a concept. From the perspective of mindfulness, there's only experiences. And so it doesn't matter whether it's someone talking to you in, in the room next to you or someone talking to you from beyond the grave or whatever. It's still just sound, still just hearing. Neither one is more real than the other. Well, maybe that's not true. Well, not more real, but different. Because if someone's shouting in your ear, there's also sound involved, right? There's also sound waves in the physical ear involved. But that it's not more real, it's just different. You hear something in the mind, it's still hearing, it's just a different kind of hearing. But that doesn't that doesn't make any that doesn't mean anything. We don't distinguish between different kinds of experience. I mean different kinds of hearing, for example, or different kinds of seeing. Seeing is still just seeing. Hearing is still just hearing. Being able to distinguish between hearing and seeing, that's enough. That's sufficient. Okay, that's all then. Do we have any really important questions we need yeah, that need answers? No, I think uh, most of the other questions are more uh, philosophical or not really related to meditation. All right, then bring us to the end. Please. Sadhu. Thank you. It is good. Another good hour of mindfulness. Thank you all for participating with your questions and your interest in the meditation and your practice of mindfulness. May you all find peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Have a good night.